A beginning is a very delicate time. Know then that it is the year 10,191. In this time, the most precious substance in the universe is the spice melange. The spice extends life. The spice exists on only one planet in the entire universe. The planet is Arrakis, also known as Dune. Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Waffle Press Retrospectives. I'm your host, Diego Crespo. With me today is my co-host, Matt Garingo. I was going to yell uh, 10 legions of Sardaukar, <laughs> like I did with yelling Evil Dies Tonight with Halloween Kills, but people are in my home today, so oh, okay. I didn't want to upset anyone. <laughs> Kwasi Chatterack, don't drink that coffee. <laughs> Close you enough. never guess. There was a fish in the spice. Oh, you're doing uh, Twin Peaks references? I'm doing a Twin Peaks reference because we're talking about the original... There was a fish in the gom jabber. <laughs> like, thank you, that's better. <laughs> we're, we're doing the original 1984 adaptation of Dune directed by Alan Smithy, but unfortunately David Lynch also. Mm-hmm. Um. And we'll be talking about the, the Denis Villeneuve Dune 2021 IMAX presentation, which none of us really saw here. So I got the eh Max presentation and a second viewing on HBO Max. But we'll get to that movie when we get to it. Yes, we, we shall. Have to talk about all this other stuff first. What was that? Yes, we shall. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. Matt, what's your history with Dune? Um, all of it. <laughs> Uh, at some point in the early 2000s, uh, the Sci-Fi Channel aired David Lynch's Dune. <laughs> That's kind of perfect. And I came in in the middle, and then I stopped about halfway through. And then it always kind of stuck in my head as like, I should finish that one day. And it turns out my dad is a big fan of that movie. <laughs> Which doesn't make any sense whatsoever. <laughs> I... I... I don't think the movie makes any sense whatsoever. And so I sat down and watched it. He had me watch it one of these days, and uh, it made about as much sense as coming in in the middle and leaving <laughs> before the end did <laughs> when I was younger. Um, and then at some point in high school, I decided to read the books, and I did read them, and then I kind of was like, oh, okay, I guess that's what was going on. <laughs> And then uh, I have not read them since. I started rereading Dune in the build-up towards the new release. And then I got like a fourth of the way in and then my life got complicated, so I stopped. Mm-hmm. So there's the thrilling adventures of Matt and the Dune franchise. Alright, well, Dune is fucking bizarre. And until recently, I had no idea what they were actually about. And I have seen the David Lynch film multiple times now. And you still didn't and, know. <laughs> and I, it's it's very hard to grasp because we'll get into it, obviously, right now. But that film stops every scene to have characters either physically monologue about exposition or, like, will enter their mental state. Well, they'll, like, drop some more expository knowledge. Or a disembodied voiceover yeah. from Virginia Madsen. Or or Dino De Laurentiis put a gun to David Lynch's head and said, add voice over here to clear things up. Yeah, that's basically what happened. And it doesn't help the at all. No, 
it makes it more confusing. <laughs> yeah, because I'm like, wait, what, what, what? Um, and it turns out like the story of Dune isn't that complicated. It's just a little dense, but you'd never know from the David Lynch film, yeah, which he had attempted to disown originally. Well, I think that's the rep. Dune has this reputation of being unadaptable, and I, I think. It comes from the weird history it has, where, one, there was there's the famed Jodorowsky Dune, which n- did not get made, um, and apparently the script was the size of a phone book, and Jodorowsky was like, I would make a 10-hour long film, and believe it or not, no studio in Hollywood wanted to fund that. Um, <laughs> it is kind of hysterical if you watch that documentary where they're like, shocked, no studio. <laughs> We'll find a, a, and it's not even that he said it was ten hours. He's like, well, it could be four, it could be ten, <laughs> and like, studios want answers on that shit. So yeah, um, not shocking that didn't happen. And then there's the aborted uh, Ridley Scott version. Not sure if you know about that. Only uh, in passing. Yeah, I yeah. guess he had a complete script. I think the story is he got to the point where he had a complete script, and then he was going through like personal stuff and was like, I can. This is going to be two years of my life. I cannot commit to this. Mm. And, and backed out. And then uh, Dino, in his infinite wisdom, Dino De Laurentiis. Our boy. Uh, our boy. <laughs> Goodbye, Judy Foster. Uh, um, <laughs> uh, in his infinite wisdom, decided to get the guy who did a racer head and the elephant man to do Dune. And David Lynch turned in a batshit movie. And like I said, I think these things have all contributed to the idea that Dune's unadaptable. I don't think it is. It is very dense. I think the 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 thing about Dune is just that it's uh, incredibly difficult to adapt it in a way that would appeal to a mass audience. You know, mm-hmm. like it's it's not. Uh, you got to learn a bunch of stupid names and words just to yeah. have a simple grasp on the story and. Uh, American audiences aren't always into that shit. <laughs> That's true. So. And I'll say, considering how now everyone understands what Thanos and the Infinity Gauntlet are, mm-hmm. and they're about to get into the Eternals, like, I, I think audiences are more primed up for, like, the weird sci-fi stuff. I'm not saying the Marvel stuff's weird, but I'm <laughs> saying there's a lot of weird stuff in their origins. Yeah. You know? Um which is maybe why, and something else we'll get into, the new Dune seems to be a big hit. Uh, but we're gonna save that. We'll save stuff we'll for save later. that discussion for later. Um, uh-huh. I, I did want to bring up one thing I knew about the the Ridley Scott version was that uh, it that was also intended to be uh, broken up into two halves, a part one and a part two. Mm-hmm. And because Ridley Scott is Ridley Scott. He used the film The Battle of Algiers as a reference point. Of course he did. <laughs> um, that's incredible. Thank you, God, I guess. Well, no, we I can't. I want to read that no, now. No, we, we can't thank God the movie didn't happen. <laughs> but, like, this, that's like a maniac move. Like, you tell someone now, like, yeah, I'm going to use The Battle of Algiers as a reference point for my Batman adaptation. They'll be like, get out. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Well, I mean, you know, I mean, we're talking about the guy who was like when he was adapting Alien, and you know, got Daniel Bannavie and like, yeah, it's kind of like Planet of the Vampires, it the Terror from Beyond Space, it's like a B horror movie. And then really Scott comes in, he's like, yeah, but what if it's like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre? <laughs> <laughs> and 
And it turns out that was like, this is like, that's just Ridley Scott willing to just fucking go anywhere with his movies. Yeah, isn't he the best? He was. <laughs> now, you know what? I can't, I'm not even, you know, I'm not going to shit on the guy. He made a really good movie this year, so. Um, Which you're the only one who saw. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> How did no one go see it? I'm just sh- I'm shocked by that. Because, like, everyone's so hyped about Ridley Scott. So we're going to go see House of Gucci or whatever the fuck? Oh, yeah. Is that... But that's because of the, the Gaga heads. Oh, yeah. And she... Because she's a good... I think she's a good actress, too. So, like, I'm excited about that. But Yeah, it's got a, it's got a problem, though. <laughs> yeah, it's got a big problem in the cast. Absolutely. But, but again, I, not something... But why did no one go see The Last Duel? It's fucking Ridley Scott doing a medieval picture, you know? Like... Yeah, well... It seems like know. right up... America's got venom fever. That's why. What was that about? <laughs> People like Venom. I guess. Hey, is Tom Hardy doing the Venom voice in those? Yes. I did not realize that for the longest yeah, time. Yeah, isn't that fantastic? That's that's crazy. Yeah. That's just crazy. There's no Venom voice in the Dune 1984 film adaptation. Nah, you know what? It would have helped. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, Matt, let's, let's just say, do you like the 1984 film adaptation of Dune? Um. You know what I do? Uh, but I, I, in, in reality, I think I'll say I like the first half of it. <laughs> and then the second half gets like super boring. <laughs> mm. Um, it's that, you know, it's that classic thing of like any movie that's 20 plus years old is just an insight to how movies used to be made. Yeah. And then this has the added, uh, benefit of up, up until now, it's the, you know, the only film adaptation of Dune. There's a TV miniseries that I still haven't seen. Um, people told me it was all right. I just haven't bothered to watch it. And that was another sci-fi thing, right? I believe so. I think that's why the Sci-Fi Channel was showing David Lynch's Dune. Yeah, because I, I have a passing familiarity with that. I definitely skimmed through it when I was channel surfing back in the day. And I was just like, I that looks so fucking weird. I don't know what that is. Believe it or not, <laughs> seeing David Lynch's Dune did not get me hyped for the miniseries. <laughs> Um, but yeah, this has the and it has the added benefit of being uh, a, a straight up genre film done by David Lynch. And to date, the the biggest budget he ever worked with, and unfortunately, is probably going to remain that way. Yeah, unless someone goes insane somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and and the only time, I mean, he's adapted stuff, right? Like some of his stuff's adaptations are like uh, the, the Elephant Man, technically. Yeah. Um, probably something else I'm forgetting yeah, already. But, you know, he, he and, like, his stuff is, like, you could call it genre, but, like, he plays with it in such a weird way. But this is the straight-up one where it's just like, no, I'm going to tell us epic science fiction story. It's nothing like anything else he's ever directed. Mm-hmm. And uh, it it's the only one where, like, you know, people, people, like, ask David Lynch questions, and then he gives, like, very obtuse answers. And people are like, oh, that David Lynch... And, like, I don't really want him to give answers on his stuff, you know? Like, it's better to just let it hang. But I want... I have all the questions about his choices. Yeah, he's he's like America's, like, foremost surrealist filmmaker. Mm -hmm. Like, and that's just because he's been doing it the longest, too. But, like, no one else has, has been allowed to pave the avenues that he has since, you know? And that's just... 
the evolution of Hollywood, unfortunately. But I also have questions. And I think there are moments in the movie where I'm like, okay, that's exactly why you brought on David Lynch for this. <laughs> and then the other 90% where I'm like, why did you hire David Lynch? I don't think this? there's a single reason David Lynch was brought on to do this. Uh, well, money. But no, like I, I think there's a lot of like the uh, the dream sequences stuff. Yeah, but you got to remember, think... this is Lynch off of Eraserhead and Elephant Man. <laughs> We really haven't defined what a David Lynch film is yet, in my opinion. <laughs> I'd say Eraserhead more so. Yeah, but like, Eraserhead could just be... there's some trippy imagery in that. Yeah, but Eraserhead could just be like this weird like first experimental film, you know? No, that... True, And then true, Elephant Man yeah. is like a biographical film. Yeah. And like there's, there's of course, dream stuff in Elephant Man... Um, but it hasn't, like, Blue Velvet is kind of where it all comes together, and you're like, alright, that's what this guy makes movies about. <laughs> mm-hmm. And in, the, in between Elephant Man and Blue Velvet is Dune. <laughs> and you know, it's kind of funny, he follows, like, the trajectory of a lot of, like, independent filmmakers now. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, okay, you do your original movie, where you, you, you come out of the gate swinging, then you do your follow-up, maybe more traditional, but still got your name on it. And then your third one's your big blockbuster. Yes. That happens a lot. That happened to, like, basically everyone who's working in the Marvel studio system yeah. right now. And unfortunately, we're not getting, like, I think studios are sitting back being like, thank God we're not getting David Lynch's Dune, but I think we're all being deprived of multiple David Lynch's Dunes. Yeah. Like, we should just let these directors go fucking insane with their movies. Yeah, I mean, I think, I, I think something that goes, like, um under discussed is is that you know like we were talking about halloween kills last time we recorded and i'm not a fan of that movie but i also appreciated that it took big swings Mm -hmm. and there's there's something to that you know i don't need every movie to be like a grandstanding like home run sometimes you do just want to experience david lynch's doom which (laughs) i am a fan of even though very little you know what? Basically, nothing works in this. Movie. <laughs> yeah, no, not. A, I, I think there, basically nothing works. There is not a single thing in this movie that works. Um, oh, you know what? No, I I actually like the score. It doesn't match oh, yes. like with the movie, uh, but I think the the score by uh, Toto, <laughs> uh, with assistance from Brian Eno, mm-hmm. is fantastic. It is so good, and I like the the sandworms in this a lot too. There's not there's not enough. It's budgetary constraints, even though, again, this is the biggest budget David Lynch has ever worked with. Yes. But it's, I don't know, there's, like, fun stuff there. And I like some of the designs of everything, but then at a certain point, it all starts looking the same. Yeah. And it's it's just, like, weird. Well, there's a real um, challenge. I will say to uh, all, well, we will see if Villeneuve gets to do his part two, but there's a, there, there is a challenge where suddenly the second half is mostly just in the desert, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, that's a real challenge. Whereas the first half of this is just front-loaded with your, like, your fucking House Atreides, and then you meet the fucking Emperor of the Universe in a fucking Guild Navigator. <laughs> I and love then, the look of the Guild Navigator. Then you get fucking the Harkonnen, and then you get, then you're on Dune, and then you get, there's like, it's so front-loaded with all this other crazy stuff that then when you get to the second half and they're just kind of wandering the desert, it can be because uh, like you're kind of like the first half like this doesn't work but at least it's consistently weird mm-hmm. and then the second half is mostly just the desert 
Yeah, it's it's like they got tired. They're like, yeah, this isn't working. We just got to finish it. Yeah, you know? oh, there's definitely a lot of that where it's like there's something like here's the water of life, <laughs> oh, and they had a baby, and it's it's fully intelligent, and you're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah, and like like literally every scene is stopped with like a voiceover or a monologue or something else, and there's sometimes weird transitions for Paul mm-hmm. because he has like those those powers and he's bred for being like a perfect like sightseer or something and it's a lot and it, it's it's so bizarre well, it's, it's amazing that this was released to like general audiences this is a challenge that people struggle with to this day which is where your main character is basically supposed to become god by the end of the story mm-hmm. um it's hard to get dramatic tension out of that um, yeah, unless you're like the Wachowski sisters. Yes, but even then, like <laughs> I will argue, I think they struggle a little bit with it. They make good movies, but you can it 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 struggles at times, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, it, it happens. Yeah, they made the right choice in setting most of the second one in the underworld because <laughs> <laughs> that helped. Um, but yeah, fucking Dune, man. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like it's it's the. the the original movie is kind of hard to like talk about just because it's so bizarre. Like I, I would recommend people see it. Mm. I have been recommending people see it before the new Dune just to like see the difference of of people that maybe didn't understand the material they were working with versus hopefully a group of people that did understand the material they were working with. Mm-hmm. Um, I I just love that half the cast of Twin Peaks is in this and Sean Young. <laughs> as Chani and Patrick Stewart as Gurney who who enters battle with a pug. It's a, it's amazing that like it's true shaving your head it just looks like you never age. Mm-hmm. Cuz Patrick Stewart <laughs> looks about the same age up until re- only recently has Patrick Stewart really started to show his age in my opinion. Like I would agree with that. He yeah, looked he, like this he Patrick, looks fantastic. He looks like this Patrick Stewart for a long fucking time. <laughs> I would say like thirty years. It's like him and Morgan Freeman. They look the same. Yes. Forever. <laughs> like they were just born that way, you know. If you want to talk about some of the problems of this movie, uh, if you read the plot synopsis on Wikipedia, it has completely like restructured the events of the film, <laughs> just so it can make sense. Yeah, that's not great. <laughs> and uh, when the film opens with the Virginia Madsen, like, uh, uh, just forward speaking to the audience, mm-hmm. there's a fade out in the middle of it. And you think like, okay, oh, yeah. over. nope, nope, yes. it's still going. And then the second fade out happens. And she's like, oh, yeah, before I forget. And it's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Why would you do that twice? Like, I guess they had to, like, cut around it. They had to add more expository conversation i mean it 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 totally captures the feeling of trying to explain dune to someone <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh yeah by the way this other thing oh yeah by the way uh the video yeah. <laughs> like, yeah you forgot um, some fucking detail <laughs> and it's so strange because i think this movie works better with the voiceover because it would let you get lost in like at least the visuals of it which aren't like outstanding all the time, but they're so bizarre that it's really interesting to look at a lot. Of I will the time. say it's it's commendable of David Lynch that he made one of the most visually aggressive films ever made. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's a hard movie to look at. 
not just the Harkonnens, like, everything just looks disgusting. <laughs> yeah. Even the desert, a... even his, like, desert captures the feeling of, like, what it's like to be at the beach and having sand stuck in, like, every crevice of your fucking body. <laughs> yeah. To this day, Kyle McLaughlin is finding sand in his ears. <laughs> uh, what do you think about Kyle McLaughlin as Paul? Um, I like him, and that's important. This is, like, where they meet, him and Lynch. So mm-hmm. it's important. Oh, excuse to... me, Kale McLaughlin. Oh, yeah, yeah. David has a very particular way of directing. Not just me, but everyone who works with him. And for me, he would say something like, now, Kale, Kale. And he calls me Kale. That's another story. <laughs> okay. Because during Dune, Dino De Laurentiis, who produced that, couldn't say Kyle. And he called me Kale, hey, Kale. And he had spoke like that. Sure. David picked that up. He becomes fond of it. So now he calls me Kale. He says, Kale, it needs more Elvis. Give me a little more Elvis. Or it is more of a mystery here. Or a wind. Think of a wind. Uh-huh. Sorry, David. So I'm like, but for me, that, that's perfect. That's perfect. That just gives me enough. I know exactly what he's talking about. And off we go. And we make these, these, these crazy things. So. But do you always know what it is you're making? No. Oh, that, that wacky, wacky Dino. <laughs> crazy Italian bastard. <laughs> uh. Yeah, I don't know. There, there's something about him where, like, I, I don't think he gives a very good performance. But with this movie, I don't know how you could. Well, it's the, he's, giving, it's, he's giving, like, a David Lynch-esque performance. You know, mm-hmm. and I think he's trying. They're trying to do a like, gee whiz, I'm on a space adventure, type vibe to him. And then by the end of it, he's gonna become the messiah that starts a uh, a jihad, <laughs> like, <laughs> which is I don't think is a wrong choice. Yeah, I mean, Dune, the book Dune, kind of sits in this interesting spot of like, the end of the golden age of science fiction, which so much of the golden age of science fiction is about like science is inherently good we will get to the stars we will have computers we will have robots everything's going to be great like it's it's all going to be good if we just if we just get behind science and everything will be fine and then you get the new wave science fiction which starts dealing with like yeah but what are the human consequences of the science fiction ideas and dune sits like right in the middle and it kind of does start as a typical like science fiction space romance type story and then by the end it's like getting into like mind expanding drug altering territory (laughs) yeah and i i couldn't grasp what dune was actually about just because this movie is so odd and like i think people think i'm joking when i say i don't i didn't understand dune until recently like i'm dead serious i i did not (laughs) i couldn't describe what the movie was about and the book is very dense, and I, I need to actually sit down and, and read it all the way through. That's on me. The new movie at least made things very clear, which we'll get into. <laughs> but, like, it, it it's so bizarre because there's a lot of really fascinating material in Dune. So when you hear, like, producers say, like, oh, yeah, we're going to see the, the franchise potential of Dune with the new film. Like, to me, that sounded, like, fucking ridiculous because I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I got images of, like, like the... The, but, the old Harkonnens and the uh, the the guild navigator, and I was like, people don't want that. No, people, <laughs> people do not want, want this dude. 
people yeah. do not want this dude. But I think the counterpoint, if we want to talk about the franchise potential of Dune, I'm not trying to say this series is anywhere near as complicated as Dune, but uh, we you have to look at the success of Game of Thrones, which is a show that just fucking showed up one day for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's a book, it's a book series. It has a very it had a very uh, rabid fan base. But then it started gaining popularity. People are like, you gotta check this fucking Game of Thrones show out. And by the middle of the show being on the air, people knew, like, could name all the houses in Westeros. And you could talk about the lineage of the Targaryens, or like, oh, what are the faceless men up to? People suddenly know all these terms. And I think that speaks to people are more open to learning all this nonsense today. Especially in an age of the internet where you can just Google any question. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You know, so you can watch an episode of Game of Thrones and then watch some guy on YouTube explain what the fuck you just watched. <laughs> and I'm sure there's got to be videos like that popping up for Dune, the new Dune, right now. Oh yeah, totally. And I think if Game of Thrones could become a Game of Thrones, which is like uh, a pretty, you know, violent and disgusting book series, <laughs> and is pretty dense with its world building, could become this massive phenomenon to the point where now they are like they're gonna they're hyping the spinoff show that's on its way which who knows if people give a shit because the fucking final the finale of that show left such a bad taste in everyone's mouth yeah like I, I don't know if anyone's hyping it up yeah. but it's definitely coming but we'll see how it does it's interesting that, that now like Game of Thrones is a Lord of the Rings level franchise mm-hmm. and I don't think you could have predicted that if, even if you were a fan of the books and so I don't think it's totally impossible for uh, the new Dune to spawn a franchise in such a way. <laughs> I think you're going to get people coming away from it wanting uh, answers. Whereas this one's just going to be like 84 Dune. You're just like, fuck that. <laughs> like, I wish someone had adapted God Emperor of Dune so I could cut to a clip of whatever the fuck is happening on that cover. Yeah, just, that uh, just post the covers. <laughs> Okay, that's uh, yeah. For for the non YouTube listeners, um, just Google God Emperor of Dune. I was I, I always kind of check out the cover on that. That's the thing I want to get to God Emperor of Dune, like in terms of adaptations, and it's like, well, the first one's already a two part film, mm-hmm. and it's like, what are we gonna do for the next two? And then, how the fuck do you adapt God Emperor? Like, it's just by then it's well. Just, here, do you? I guess we could kind of start transitioning into the new one a little bit. Um, um, well, let's cause... go through. Let's go through uh, some more of '84. Okay, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't want to leave it behind yet, but I do want to say since you brought it up, uh, the plan for uh, Denis Villeneuve's trilogy is um, he's he's shooting a shot on, on part one and part two. Those are basically. I, I'd be shocked if part two didn't happen at this point. Um, and the third chapter would be Dune Messiah. Which would be one film. Okay. Which I do not know anything about. But then he's so. not going to do Children of Dune? Um, I, I think he's the kind of dude who would be happy making Dune movies for the rest of his life. Hey, but I don't know. God, you know? God bless I, him. Yeah. But uh, kind of, if you're going to do Dune Messiah, you kind of have to do Children of Dune. Like, you could, okay. you could stop at Children of Dune. But uh, well, should, should you should you explain a little bit of what happens there? Because I only know about God Emperor of Dune because that fucking image is like seared into my brain now. <laughs> um, do you have seven hours? 
Um, I, you know, I don't need, Dune Messiah is just kind of like, I don't want to get too into it, but like the first, the first Dune is a very simple kind of hero's journey type story, you know? I mean, simple in quotes. Simple in quotes, because it's also like what I barely discovered recently. Mm. Um, it's like a deconstructionist hero's journey story. Well, that's where the sequels really come in. The sequels kind of double down on the deconstructionist stuff. Okay, see, that sounds interesting to me. Where it's like, hey, you know, if you do this stuff, it's going to have massive ramifications. Yeah, and that's what became really interesting to me about this Dune saga. Mm -hmm. That it's it's more than just, like, a bunch of weird shit. Like, finally getting a firm grasp on what it's about. I'm like, oh, this is why people are obsessed with these fucking books. Yeah, I think when people talk about the unadaptability of Dune, I think they're talking about the stuff that follows the first Dune. Mm-hmm. Like the the first Dune is a pretty closed story. Like you could just end it there, <laughs> as David Lynch's does. Yes. Um. But uh, to do this, like once it, once you start rolling that ball down the hill for the sequels, you have to do them. Like, <laughs> and then there's no real ending, which is the other challenge. Um. Because Frank Herbert died. And even though there are the two uh, follow-ups that were written by Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson, who also wrote a bunch of Star Wars novels. Um, I can't remember which Star Wars novels he wrote, though. <laughs> Let me look it up real quick. Uh, oh, yeah, he wrote the Jedi Academy trilogy. Hmm. Um, which, uh, there's a lot of weird stuff in those books that seem to appear in the... Uh, the sequel trilogy <laughs> <laughs> including i believe i believe that's the one with uh like the sun crusher which is kind of like star killer base hmm but i believe it or not i have not read those books in since middle school <laughs> yeah yeah there hasn't been a big draw to go back to those unlike dune which i'm pro- i probably should reread all the dune books because um, I read them in high school, and like only a certain amount has kind of stuck with me. And I kind of remember the big stuff. <laughs> like the God Emperor. <laughs> Do you want me to explain what uh, the God Emperor is? Yes, because I am... I am. It's cursing me. <laughs> mm-hmm. it, it's haunting me now. Um, well, Le- there's uh, Leto Atreides, Leto II, um, who is the son of Paul Atreides, and he's, he plays a big part in Children of Dune. Um, without getting too into it, uh, at some point, uh, he merges with one of the sandworms of Dune. <laughs> and is it like a sex thing, or is it like a science thing, or uh, both? It, it's, I mean, a lot. Of, there's a lot of psychosexual stuff in the fucking uh, books, but uh, I don't remember exactly how they do it. It's, I don't believe, I, I can't remember, but they, they fucking merge, and so it's a giant sandworm with Leto's uh, head and human arms. And then he becomes, the... he becomes the god emperor, and he rules the galaxy like a tyrant for like thousands of years. It, are the, the face and the hands the same size, or do they grow like to be like... Like normally comparable to the rest of the sandworm. Yes. Wow. <laughs> you know, um, I would. I honestly, I would have to reread 
God Emperor again. I just remember it being incredibly strange and not reading it, not trying to figure out how a lot of it made sense. Just that suddenly wow. there's like a 3,000 year jump. <laughs> huh. Was Frank Herbert okay? I don't know. <laughs> That, that's that's a fucking like I need to get to that movie now. That needs to happen. Yeah, well, that's point. the thing where it's like, when you get to it, like, how do you do that? How do you do that? <laughs> a lot of CGI. And more importantly, how do you make it compelling? I guess it depends what, like, the narrative thrust of that story is, mm-hmm. you know? Like, what's the, the conflict of... The God Emperor of Dune. Is it just him, like, ruling over everything? There's, uh, like, plans. Is there, like, a resistance? Yes. There's, like, plans. Like, people are trying to assassinate him, and there's other people that are trying... Like, all that... By this point, all the houses are, like, conspiring in their own ways against the God Emperor. But he's, like, this omniscient being, like... Oh. Uh, so that proves to be a Oh, because he also has, like, Paul's, like, foresight and stuff like yeah. that? Yeah. Oh, he, that's no, fucking he, scary. He's literally a God Emperor. That's horrifying. I mean, what, what, he, what the book takes is, because, you know, like, we've had god emperors and stuff like that in human history. That's incredibly upsetting. But, I don't think... Yeah, <laughs> like, it's an upsetting whoa. book. Um, but, like, in history, we've had people that declare themselves god emperors, and they pretend they're getting their, you know, orders directly from heaven, and we know that's not true. Yeah. Like, it's just not. But the Dune book is kind of like, yeah, but what if it was? <laughs> And uh, I believe like, that's the scariest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. And in the book, he's like suppressed technology and stuff. So like basically everyone lives at near medieval levels of technology, like across the galaxy. And like space travel is kind of ground to a halt because he controls all of it. Because he controls all the spice. And as you know, he who controls the spice controls the universe. Yes. Let's talk about that. Yeah, guy. that sounds like the scariest book I'm never going to read. <laughs> it's not that scary. It's just there's a lot of deep ideas going on, and maybe you want to wait until we're in a calmer part of human history to read okay. it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah, just that. Oh, holy fuck. <laughs> That's just, that did a number on me, just that description. Um, so let's move on a little bit. What's your favorite part of the 1984 Dune film? Um, <laughs> fucking Baron Harkonnen. <laughs> Who is uh, incredible and just a pure, disgusting, awful person. <laughs> half of his dialogue is screaming yeah. and the other half of it is floating. Yes. Uh, played by Kenneth McMillan. <laughs> who uh, I can't think of other things he's been in. He's in the original Taking Fell in 1, 2, 3. Hell yeah. Um, Fucking great movie. Oh yeah, he's in the director's cut of Amadeus. He's the guy with all the annoying dogs. Okay, I should watch the director's cut. You don't need to watch the director's cut of Amadeus. Oh, (laughs) Um, okay. But they're finally releasing the theatrical cut in a new format, which, like, they haven't done in years. Yay! that's good. Yeah, I'm getting, like, not to have another tangent already, but, like, I'm getting into, like, all these uh, classics that I haven't seen before and trying to find, like, the best cuts. So, like, I just ordered... Uh, the the original Napoleon from 1927. Oh God, it's like 35 bucks uh, for a region free Blu-ray. So my God, fingers crossed. But I guess I'll have to look into that Amadeus theatrical cut too. Yeah, who's doing it? Might be Criterion. I don't know. Someone's doing it. Someone's releasing the new version. Um, That's exciting. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'll keep an eye out for that. 
as will I, because it's been it's one of those like holy grails right now. Because I don't. Yeah, I, I, I saw that movie in middle school. Um. Yeah. They probably they uh, they must have shown it to you. I'm ho- I I'm assuming on VHS. Yeah, that's right. Because um, the uh, the director's cut has nudity in it. Ooh. Yeah. Um. You know what? I do remember that being controversial. Like, I think the teacher got in trouble because they assumed they showed us nudity. Oh yeah. And it was like a music teacher. Well, it's weird so where that... it's like Almadeus is a PG movie, and then the director's cut is like R-rated. Okay. Yeah. yeah so that's. Huh. Which is I wonder uh, how that professor's doing. <laughs> well, I mean, as long as they didn't show the director's cut. Yeah, yeah, you know, like I don't, I don't, I don't think that. Now they there's don't... a good movie, same year as Dune. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, '84. Huh. So those two movies. Oh, okay. And uh, something else I want to bring up: um, the poster for this Dune with the two moons over the the sand dunes. Uh-huh. Gorgeous poster. I want that poster. Now take a look. I'm not at the... a big collector. I think that's one of the best movie posters ever. Now take a look at the poster that is on the Wikipedia page. Sucks. Yes. <laughs> like sucks. It looks like a modern poster. First of all, would you see that just based on the images? No. No. It looks like Battle from Beyond the Stars. It looks like Battlefield Earth. Oh. No, Battlefield Earth still has a worse poster. Yeah, but well, I get what you're saying. Battlefield Earth is poster. like half Travolta's alien head. <laughs> um, but actually let me check is the, the poster for Battlefield Earth also at a Dutch angle um, oh you know what I don't know <laughs> that would be incredible let's see check the Wikipedia no, no it's just his no, head it's just John Travolta's face and then a bunch the of spaceships. spaceships take back the planet there's another performance that is mostly yelling yeah while you were still learning to spell your name I was being yeah, trained to conquer galaxies. <laughs> that was John Travolta. Everyone's favorite. John Travolta. Our friendly bartender. <laughs> Have you seen Battlefielder? Long ago. No, that would make a good double feature with David Lynch's Dune. Would it? They're about as incomprehensible. Okay. Dune is one of those ones where you're like, I'm clearly not getting half the story. And then Battlefield Earth is like, there's no way this is what this movie's about. And then you're like, no, it is. <laughs> Don't you just love science fiction? Yeah. Damn shame if they spawn cults. Oh. That's, it's, honestly, it says a lot about the golden age of science fiction that one of their authors became a cult leader. <laughs> oh, wait, who? Uh, L. Ron Hubbard. Oh, fucking duh. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Um, I'm still, I believe, has the Guinness Book of World Records for like most short stories written in a single year. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Because he used to write on like long stretches of butcher paper, and his slogan was "first draft, the last draft, get it out the door." <laughs> I don't, <laughs> and even that, even that saying could use a rewrite. <laughs> like, yeah, so. that's oh man, oh Ron, oh Ron. <laughs> uh, how about Brad Doris Dorif? As Peter DeVries. Um, DeVries? Sure. Here's the thing. They, like, they, Harkonnen, I guess, is not pronounced that way. Because <laughs> in the new movie, they're saying Harkonnen. Well, they say a little bit of both. There's, there's a Harkonnen in there. I heard Harkonnen mostly. Okay. Well, like Josh Brolin, he has that line where he's like, you never met Harkonnens before. Mm. You, yeah, but you can't tell Josh Brolin. <laughs> like, no, Josh, it's Harkonnen. Fuck you. Yeah. Like... <laughs> 
You know what? That's true. Uh, funny diversion as well. So Josh Brolin was on the Team Deacons podcast, and they were talking about obviously No Country for Old Men, but he was interviewing Deacons and his and his wife. Mm. It's really interesting, and they're talking about how like you know like the a lot of the big blockbuster stuff doesn't offer meaty roles, and Josh is like, well, you know, when I played Thanos, and he goes on this long tangent. And it's, like, really insightful. And I'm like, wow, none of that was in the movie. I know. But if he explained that to me, it's like, man, what a great character. There are some actors in the MCU where, like, they describe, like, what they get out of their characters. And they're clearly not describing, like, studio talking points. Yeah, yeah. And you can tell they, like, really care. And it's like, I wish I was watching that movie. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, fucking... It's Josh Brolin. Well, you know, He's one it, of the best to do it. It also explains why Thanos ends up being so compelling, even in a bad movie. You yeah, know, yeah. He, he just he, there's a lot of gravity to that performance. Yeah, fucking. Yeah, it just that, that reminded me of that. It's like, oh yeah, the dude can like talk like nobody's business, man. <laughs> also, it's um, shocking when you realize how short Josh Brolin is. <laughs> yeah, he's not a big guy. Not a big guy. But uh, he, his face is so intimidating. Yes. But... Let's see, who else's face is intimidating in the original adaptation of Dune? Uh, Linda Hunt. <laughs> Linda <laughs> yes. Um, who, who's a character you probably could just cut from this version of Dune? <laughs> yeah, um, the moment that she say, or she, um, she is saved uh, by Paul from, from the Hunter Seeker, the mm-hmm. Hunter Killer, what's it called? I, oh, fuck. Uh, I think it's Hunter Seeker. God, now I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. What whatever that thing is. You call me on and something like, like that, I'm just gonna freeze up. <laughs> yeah. And then she's like, Oh, you saved me, by the way. And she goes on a monologue. Yes. And I was like, This is fucking ridiculous. <laughs> like she, it just keeps happening in the movie. It's very unfortunate that she looks a lot like Gilbert Gottfried in this. Oh <laughs> so I like only saw Gilbert. <laughs> you saved me, Paul. <laughs> you saved me, Paul Atreides. <laughs> Arrakis, also known as Dune. <laughs> the Harkonnen, House Harkonnen, they're the enemies of House... What if he did the narration? Oh my god. Gilbert's floating head. <laughs> oh, by the way! By the way! <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah, I think we're on to something. <laughs> yeah, put, the Gringo cut of Dune. Yes, we just add Gilbert Gottfried. Yeah. Just pay him to say things from Dune on his... Uh, cameo account <laughs> oh my god yes that that is people, that's an idea people have been doing that where they just get gilbert to say anything <laughs> so because it's anything sounds funny in gilbert's voice that's true we're probably making a killing off of that <laughs> it is interesting looking at the cast list is this in i'm guessing it's in uh alphabetical order on the wikipedia because uh it's like in the middle and it says Paul Atreides the protagonist <laughs> yeah the end credits are also in chronolo- or, uh, alphabetical order okay. as well um, which are very funny because it has that, that cheesy 80s overture music yeah. that does not fit with the rest of the film if... and it has the, the image of people staring at the camera as their names pop up right mm-hmm. pretty standard for the era at least or at least more classical film stuff or a sitcom, <laughs> which it looks like, and then or the ending of when Animal you get to House. Virginia Madsen, she's just staring away from the camera, and it's like, why was that? Why? Why did you get that one? There's like her? two why? like that. Yeah, like, and then like the follow up. There's a, another lady. I don't remember. I think it's Lady Jessica in this, and like, wh- wh- what was that? <laughs> Why'd you do that? 
And, like, Max von Sydow is clearly just his scene in the movie. <laughs> like... mm-hmm. Oh, and uh, the, the guy who plays uh, uh, Duncan Idaho, Oh, yeah, too. yeah, they did it with him, too. Yeah, like, what, <laughs> what happened there? Duncan Idaho is such a non-presence in this one. Yeah. Like, you can tell they didn't know what to do with that character. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, which is very in contrast to the new adaptation. Yeah, yeah, like love it or hate it, like that that character's got some meat on his bones yeah. at least in the new one. This one, I was like, oh yeah, Duncan, I was in the exposition about how we know each other and where we're going. Okay, time and, to move on. And you're dead. And he pops up again for another scene, <laughs> and that's kind of it. Yeah, and then he dies. And then, and then he dies. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, oddly gets more in this, it felt like, than Dune 2021? Uh, Dr. Yue. Dean Stockwell. <laughs> kind of, yeah, but I also didn't... I mean, just because the whole movie's so incompetent, unfortunately. <laughs> like, I, I didn't really buy into any of the character stuff at all. And especially his, just because it's, it, it's hard to grasp initially. <laughs> All of this is very hard to grasp, but I, I didn't really care for any extra character stuff. I wanted less. I wanted more landscape yeah, shots. Yeah, but, he, but he's important. He's the traitor that's worth more than ten legions of Sadokar. Yes. And if yes. you know what that means, you can watch Dune. <laughs> <laughs> um, who also gets a lot more, I, I feel anyways, is... Uh, your boy, the Baron. Oh yeah, Vladimir Harkonnen. Yeah, we'll we'll probably talk more about like what they tried to do with the new Baron, but yeah, well that's the thing. It's like I love this movie until basically the Baron leaves. Like he mm-hmm. disappears about halfway through, and that's when the movie becomes less interesting. Yeah, the uh, that's the Beast Raven. Yeah, and I don't know, man. It's just it's <laughs> it's like. I, I, I just like the guy because he's so unapologetically pure evil. <laughs> like, there's no attempt mm-hmm. to give him nuance. Yeah, and, like, that that can be super fun. And I think it's super fun to watch here, even with how disgusting he is here. Yeah. Like, repulsively disgusting. Yeah. Um, this is and, what you know, I'm sometimes doing. you just want to watch a villain be fucking evil. You don't need to give them, like, a tragic backstory or attempt to, like, sympathize with them. It's like, no, he just likes fucking destroying things and, and honestly, having not, control over everything. Not like a bad interpretation of how he's characterized in the book. Like, he's got that classic, like, he's got more like that patience, Iago vibe in the <laughs> books. But he is kind of like gleefully like, oh, I can't wait to fucking kill these Atreides. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, yeah, I don't know, it's... it's I, I think I said, like, I just prefer a version of Dune where everyone's yelling. Like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> so just fucking be shouting things. I'm not as big a fan as when it's like, oh, we gotta give some grim portent to this dialogue. And, oh, you know, Harkonnen. Like, you know, <laughs> it's not... This is my dude. Yeah, fuck. That's how he sounds in the new one. It's not that one where it's like my my sister leaned over to me and was like, I think we need subtitles for this. Oh no. <laughs> and I was like, Good fucking luck. <laughs> Does that mean you're ready to transition to the new Dune? Yeah, fuck it. Let's go. Alright. The last note I have on nineteen eighty four then is that uh for all all the problems and all the 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 
genuine, like outright failures of the film. I find it very interesting that even now, someone like Denis Villeneuve and Christopher Nolan, when talking about it, always refer to David Lynch as the master. And I think everyone just like, like they, they know that he's more than Dune, which is nice to see. Because yes. some people have like a bomb that ends up defining their career. Yeah. And David Lynch is very much not that person. And I think that's because he's, he's an artist like beyond film too, you know. David Lynch made the smart move of making movies that were even stranger to the general public. <laughs> Yeah, do. <laughs> and it's like, that's how he cultivated an audience yeah. in a way. I guess I have two things uh, to talk about about 84 before we move on. Mm-hmm. Um, the one part where the guy goes, we'll show Worm Sign the likes of which even God hasn't seen. <laughs> which, I don't know why, I just love that line. <laughs> and a Sting. Oh yeah, Sting's in this. Sting gets into a knife fight <laughs> with Kyle McLaughlin at the end. And he gets stabbed in the mouth. I will kill him. Um, also, <laughs> yeah, that was a line. <laughs> we have to uh, talk about that. They're getting ready for the fight, and uh, out of nowhere, uh, these fremen with drums are just there. <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> just boom, what a cut! <laughs> boom, boom. I hope they come back. Like I, I guess they just had like the. They couldn't decide whether to have, like, diegetic music or not, and they're like, ah, just put them in. Yeah, I, I, yeah. but, like, the Fremen have guys that play drums now. <laughs> like, I, I guess. It's very unclear what the Fremen do in this. It's, it's very unclear what everyone does in this. Yeah, but the Fremen somehow are, like, the least defined. Yeah. Well, they're only in, like, the last half hour of I the movie. I guess that's what it is, where it's like, just end the movie. <laughs> yeah. Like, let's just end it. Jodorowsky wept. <laughs> You know, Orson Welles was supposed to be the Baron in Jodorowsky's Dune. That's incredible. That would have been something. That's amazing. That uh, There's no way Orson would have cooperated with this dialogue, though. Oh, no, no. <laughs> like, but that would have been something. The fuck is a sonocar? <laughs> I wouldn't direct <laughs> any living actor like this in Shakespeare. <laughs> One day, the legend will be born. Dune 2021. Dune. Originally, Dune 2020. Didn't happen, though. Yeah, because of the, the world being bad. The world, the world is on fire. We had the same setup for Denis Villeneuve's last film, for Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2049. Uh, this is mere coincidence. This isn't like a special occasion because he's like our favorite filmmaker or anything. Yeah, I think he's a pretty good one. I think he's solid. I think I think he's got more hits than misses. Um, um, I don't think people people want to hear what I think his misses are. You know what? I don't even know if I'd agree with that. Oh, <laughs> but, okay. <laughs> but I'll say I like even his misses. I can see like skill there. Yeah, yeah. Um, it it tends to be like from the writing. Yeah. I think, anyways. Like Sicario is uh, a very well made movie that I just despise. <laughs> yeah, it's a. I, I would say it's like a fantastically directed film Mm -hmm. i just hate that screenplay now (laughs) yeah um and i will say dune 2021 like finally hearing about what a big dune fan denis villeneuve is seeing what dune's about seeing how he went about making this film i could see why he chose specific projects in the past like i could see his through line all the stories are kind of about like whether or not people's fates are predetermined because of circumstances or, like, institutions outside of their control. 
And I just find that really interesting. And it totally makes sense why he made Blade Runner 2049 the way he did, given that film's narrative. And I I think it, it makes perfect sense that he would adapt Dune. And um, I guess we have to talk about the the sandworm in the room of whether or not we actually thought it was successful at any of these things. Diego, what did you think? I God damn it. <laughs> um, so I saw it in IMAX, but it was eh max as I like to call it mm. because it was not real IMAX, but it was a big screen. It was loud. The sound design was fantastic. Uh, th- this is one of my favorite movie going experiences in like several years. I, I totally got swept up in like, all, all the imagery and the the blockbuster experience, if you will. Um, I don't know how well it's written. I don't know if I would have agreed with the decision to split it into two parts. Uh, I totally get people saying, I can't really judge this film because it's not finished yet. But I also think it ends on a on a really strong note. And I could argue for a thematic finale for the film, if not a plot finale. I think it's really good. It's not my favorite of his, but I think it's really good. There you go. All right. What did you think, Matt? Uh, I was I was kind of underwhelmed by the whole thing. Okay. <laughs> Which might be the weirdest <laughs> take because people seem to be loving this fucking movie. Um, I liked it. But I also was like, oh, I guess that's it. <laughs> <laughs> but also, like, I admit, like, I, I've been like that with a lot of movies lately. I'm in a weird funk. I'll admit that. Um, and uh, but I mean, I was, I was watching it, and I'm like, this isn't that spectacular. And then I was, like, I was a little embarrassed that I had like brought people to it. Mm-hmm. It's like there's no way they're liking this. And then the movie ended, and my sister said it's maybe the best movie she's seen all year. <laughs> wow. And she knows nothing of Dune. <laughs> and uh yeah it i don't know why i don't know why i didn't really latch onto it that much and then i also don't know why it seems like the average moviegoer is going like this movie's amazing <laughs> and maybe it just is the scale because we just don't see movies made on this scale that often these days yeah um, and i think like we, we've been arguing for it for a long time that people want more from movies even when they don't realize it. And I think the reception to Dune 2021 like totally proves that. You know, like it is an IP-based film. It's from a book. It's been adapted as a film before, but like it doesn't feel like that. Well, like, it, it feels like a wholly original like vision. Yeah, at least. and also it's, it's one of these movies where I can't think of the last movie where people were like, you have to see this shit on a big screen, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, is there any movie... Like, we like going to the theater, because going to the theater is, like, a fun experience. But yeah. has have you seen anything that made you go, like, no, this has to be seen on, like, the biggest screen possible? Like, when was the last time you saw something like that? Oh, God. Um, not just because we've been indoors, but, like, probably since... 2019, maybe? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I would argue No Time to Die just because it's James Bond, and I think all Bonds should be seen in a theater at some point. Uh-huh. Um, and that that movie, I think, does handle, like, the action very well. Like, well, no, it's not about there's plenty of movies that handle action well. There's plenty of movies that do all that well, but there's no movie that's, like, that I can think of where the selling point is, like, you want to see this shit on the big screen. 
Yeah, like, yeah. Even if you see oh, it you at home, what? it won't be um, the same. This thing. is this is not an actual answer to your question, but seeing Streets of Fire <laughs> in a crowded theater on thirty five millimeter, it felt like going to a concert. Okay, that was fantastic. Yeah, but again, that came out in nineteen eighty four. Yeah, and it, but it also again, that's like that's more about like the communal experience of going to the theater, which yeah, no one. Yeah, it's can, not about the filmmaking. No one gives a shit about that anymore. Like only yeah. weirdos like you and me like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but a movie where it's like see this shit on the big screen. I also think part of it is that, like, most people didn't see Blade Runner 2049. Mm-hmm. And that's a movie that really is made to be seen on the big screen. And it kind of became... 2049 kind of became, like, an instant cult film. I don't know if that's even the right term because it is, like, a franchise movie. But no one really saw it in theaters. Yeah. and the, but And, like, it did have the response, like, from producers and even Denis Villeneuve, who was, like explaining how people told him like congratulations you made the most expensive art house film in the history of cinema yeah which is also not like, that but <laughs> yeah. like no i don't agree with that but it, it's definitely like not it's not made the same way like other movies are made like narratively even yeah. like structurally it's it's a, plays out very differently and i would say dune 2021 has the same effect what well, I, was... I also wanted to note that the the critic response i don't want to cut you off too long but i will right now because <laughs> this is important the audience and critical responses in America are tend to be very different than everywhere else in the world. Whereas, like, critics in America focus in on, like, the character stuff. And, like, yeah, maybe it's a little weak sauce here or there. Or, like, this isn't expounded upon as, as much as they would have liked. Or they would have liked some more detail here. Meanwhile, the rest of the world is, like, gushing over, like, look at what he did, like, with the camera and with the scale and the size and the scope. And it's, like, not that we take it for granted in America what we can do with movies but also I think we take for granted what we can do with (laughs) movies in America because other like other countries filmmaking institutions don't have access to stuff that they can make like this yeah and I think Denis Villeneuve understands that and took what I believe to be full advantage of like the sense of scale and how people are like overwhelmed not just by the landscape but like the like the brutalist architecture Mm -hmm. and space like even the huge spaceships feel small in space and i don't know i was really captivated i can't think of a blockbuster that had like this much negative space in in a movie you know like yeah blade runner 2049 i mean i guess (laughs) yeah that's him it's his thing he's a he's like some brutalist architecture and you forget and i think it's that thing of like that now so many blockbusters are like throwing as much shit at you as possible Mm. that we kind of forget like the effectiveness of having very little in the frame sometimes yeah it's uh yeah um but what i was saying was i think we're when because blade runner 2049 already seems to be this movie where people are like that's a masterpiece. You know what I'm saying? Like, of like the general public, like they're kind of like, Oh, I think there's a huge number of people that regret not seeing it in theaters. And I think that kind of contributed to Dune doing as well as it is right now. Um, I think Villeneuve has cultivated this attitude of like, you have to see my movies on the big screen. Now, should we be having that attitude when we're still in the middle of a pandemic? (laughs) I don't know. It feels like we're in the last days of movie theaters, which is very sad. Um, I feel like the movie theater landscape is going to be very different even just five years from now than it is. I think we're seeing the end of the multiplexes. Um, but 
so like I want to come in like and really defend this movie and just be like just for the sheer scale of it because it feels like we're in the last few years of a movie like this getting made and if there's anything that's going to stop part two from getting made it might just be attitudes in the industry where it's like yeah it made money but we don't make movies like that anymore and but I don't know like I was I was a little underwhelmed by the whole thing Um, that's fine and I did not uh, and we're here talking about the sense of scale and the awe and all that shit and I I I did not feel it as often as I think other people felt it okay Uh, okay and I don't think it's down to the framing I think his framing is very good I think his shot composition is very good I think there was just something about the production design that was a little weak sauce for me Mm -hmm. and uh intentionally you're not supposed to be able to tell the difference between buildings and the mountains and the sand dunes and stuff like that but uh it wasn't super appealing to look at a lot of the time and i would agree with that um because i think it's safe to say i loved this movie and i'm fine with the design choices I also wish there were like actively more of them, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I understand like, like the methods of trying to like convey like the the desert landscapes and how they're kind of like like the architecture like it is the same as as the the landscapes yeah. that they're like taking advantage of. Um, but I also think it could have looked stranger. Yeah. You know, like maybe he's trying something. Where, um, like in Blade Runner 2049, where I was, when I saw the trailers, I was like, oh, no, it looks like kind of boring and gray. And then you see the movie, and it's like, oh, okay, that's intentional. Yeah. Because it's – I think he's trying something here where it's like there's there's nothing worth, like, seeing because it's, like, a dystopia. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And I think – I also um, but think – But it is, like, over two and a half hours long, so it would be nice to add something yes. to the mix. And maybe that's a petty complaint. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But Honestly, I, it's weird where actually the desert starts being more interesting. <laughs> like, yeah, I think with the, you think that would get boring yeah. to look at. Um, so maybe that's like I'm like I'm hyped more for seeing how part two plays out. Mm-hmm. Um, but even then, there's like shots uh, where uh, they fail to pick up the one spice mining machine. That's like that's like a big sequence in this, which is also in uh, the Lynch version. By the way, did you catch Lynch's cameo in that scene? Yes, yes, I did. Miners. They should have brought him back for this, because why not? <laughs> yeah, that would have been cute. Uh, but um, but uh, yeah, there's when when the ship's supposed to be coming down to pick it up. I don't know. Like I, I'm watching it and I'm like, this should feel bigger, and I don't know why it's not feeling bigger. <laughs> um, and then also like, well, maybe Villeneuve's trying to go for this style of like he wants this to feel like a place that was actually built and that you could go there and that he's just filming there. And, but I don't know, man. Also, I was thinking a lot of like Mad Max Fury Road <laughs> from while watching this, which probably isn't fair. Oh no. Yeah. The, uh, Mad Max Fury Road is like a top five movies of the century. A very, situation, a so. very different beast of a film, but another film that is set in like a desert wasteland for the most part. Mm-hmm. and uh, felt more like it was in a desert wasteland. <laughs> I don't know. Even though that's like a stylized desert. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's much more like rich in color. I think it had that yeah. weird problem where it's like he, he wanted it to feel kind of like ruins almost. 
Mm-hmm. And so where we were when we make movies about ancient Rome, their ruins just look like ruins, even though it's supposed to be like the height of the Roman Empire. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, you know, they, you realize they like painted all this shit and like had really goofy colors on everything. It wasn't all marble like we think it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, it feels like that a little bit, where it's like he's get, he's historically inaccurate about something that didn't exist. <laughs> um, a, almost a little bit like uh, Ridley Scott's Gladiator. <laughs> oh yeah, that's in, that's an interesting pull. Um, but uh, the cinematography in this is done by Greg Frazier, who I don't believe had actually worked with Denny before. Let me check. Uh, Greg Frazier also shot stuff like he, he defined the look of the Mandalorian he shot Rogue One, Zero Dark Thirty uh, your favorite Vice yeah <laughs> um, um, but, oh Killing Them Softly yeah my actual favorite Killing Them Softly <laughs> yeah Killing Them Softly which is fucking fantastic no I don't think he worked with Denis before this and he I think he's a really good filmmaker a really good cinematographer at least oh and he's shooting the Batman with Matt Reeves. Yeah. Which I think looks quite good. The Batman. Um, the Batman. They're going to yes. adapt year one again. Yeah, probably. It says... with, with the long Halloween this time. Oh, around. okay. Yeah, they didn't take anything from that in any of the other films. <laughs> um, uh, I will say some of the criticism Greg Fraser gets for his visuals are that sometimes the, the shadows aren't too, too deep. Sometimes he has a little bit of a flat look. I don't agree with this criticism. Um, I could see someone having that criticism here, although I think it's more intentional here as well. We're like, yeah. I, I don't think any of like the the arguments people are making against this film. I don't think the film does any of it accidentally. But like what you're saying, like I can understand why someone would say them. Uh-huh. It's it's a little long and stuff does start to look very similar. And uh, if you're not feeling the weight of the scale of everything, then yeah, that's going to be a problem for you. Mm-hmm. So, I will say I was I, there were times where I was questioning where the light source was in certain scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, it it felt like he was almost going for like a a, a medieval style at times, where it's like oh these yeah, are these yeah, are ruins yeah. and there's only natural light. Like of course it's a movie, so unless you're fucking Stanley Kubrick making Barry Lyndon, there's gonna be you know non natural light. So. But it felt like he wanted to make it feel like there was natural light. And then times I'm looking at it, I'm like, where is this? Why does this room lit like this? And I couldn't figure that. And that got on my nerves a little bit. Okay. Um, and see, that's that's interesting. So uh, one of Denis Villeneuve's like, most consistent partners is the GOAT, Roger Deakins. Mm-hmm. Roger Deakins works the opposite way. Watch any scene he lights. About 99% of the time you're going to be able to find a light source within the scene itself. Yeah. And that gives you like um more like durability when you're editing the scene if you want to like also kind of mess with the contrast levels and the colors more. I'm not Shadows even... can be darker and such. And I, I I this isn't like anything against Greg Fraser. I just find that really interesting. It's like I don't know why Deacons wasn't brought back for this. Maybe he just didn't want to do a big movie uh-huh. again cuz he he just did 2049 um, the Goldfinch and 1917. Mm-hmm. Two of those are fucking huge movie productions <laughs> that'll take up like at least a year and a half of your life. Um, so I get it, you know. Maybe uh, Denny Villeneuve went. It's set in the desert. Get the zero dark thirty guy. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe, yeah. 
took a short walk for that one. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't, I'm not even saying like there needs to be a light source. I'm not like saying that has to be, but like it felt like with what the production design was, the 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 way it was lit didn't seem to match it. I don't know mm-hmm. if that makes sense. No, no, I, I think that makes like, sense. I felt like, all right, maybe this is supposed to be something where we're only getting kind of like the desert light and that these are like these weird kind of dark caves. And then times like walls will be illuminated. And it's like, why is that wall illuminated? <laughs> and it's like, oh, cause you want to show me this nice wall you made, but it doesn't make long. Which like, this feels like the most petty shit to complain about in a movie. Uh, I don't know. I think I, cause I, I didn't catch that, but if that's like how you feel, mm-hmm. like, you're not just saying that. You're not pulling that out of your ass. I'm just saying you know? it's stuck in my head a little bit. Yeah. And especially when it's a movie that's like being sold on its visuals because it's not a, a, a deeply complicated story, even when they're throwing around terms like Quizar's Hatteract and... Uh, <laughs> uh, and the Bene Gesserit and the Gom Jabbar. Emperor and uh, the Fremen. Fremen's probably the easiest one. How do I describe these free people of this planet? Fremen. All right, there we go. <laughs> Do you mean Freeman? No, no, no I took out. No, any... no, it's okay. That's a lot like uh, the one dragon on Game of Thrones being Drogon. Yeah. Ooh, ooh, good job, good George job. R. R. Martin. Hey, look, just a guy got to meet deadlines, or yeah. or not. <laughs> in, in his, or, yeah. In Emphasis case. on the not. Yes. Um. Yeah. Uh. At least I think the one thing, and this is going to be the thing that I think will upset nerds going forward, is that now Dune is like accessible to the general public. It's like much like Lord of the Rings before it. Like now, if I'm like, what's Dune about? I'm like, just watch the movie. Like, you'll get it. <laughs> I don't think this is going to go over that many people's heads. No, and it totally made Dune accessible for me, finally. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a story about uh, a young man who has been genetically modified to become God. Yes. Uh, it's not that hard. To explain once you actually have someone who understands it adapting it. It would be weird if a guy uh, based his prequels around similar ideas. Hmm. Whoever could you be referring to? Well, of course, I'm referring to Peter Berg, who almost directed Dune for Paramount in, like, 2008. (laughs) Is that real? Yes. Wow. What? Can you imagine Peter Berg's Dune? (laughs) No. (laughs) There's a bro, bro Dune. Oh no! Oh, but if he if he had cast like The Rock as like as Paul Atreides, yeah, then it would have been awesome. Everyone go watch Peter Berg's best film, The Rundown. That's a weird movie. That's that's a good movie. People it's hate fun. that movie. Really? Yeah. Oh, why? I don't know. I I haven't seen it in years. The Rock, his whole thing is he he's nonviolent in it. I remember well, he's, he doesn't kill people. Excuse me, he's he's violent, but he doesn't kill people. I remember so one like guy and it uses a whip and cuts a table in half. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, isn't walking in it? Yeah, he's the bad guy. Yeah, so I'm sure it's yeah, fine. It's like, why didn't Peter Berg make oh, whatever? We're not we're not we're not time to get into that. <laughs> um, uh, the Rock is not in this movie, although. He could have played uh, uh, Raven, but here he's played by Dave Bautista. Yeah, who is fucking fantastic. Dave Bautista, I just love that Dave Bautista is like cultivating this crazy like character actor career. <laughs> oh, he's so fucking good. Yeah, and he's like, I mean, Raven doesn't get a lot to do in this movie, but he's like, his presence is like scary. Yeah, 
You know, I mean, Dave Bautista is like such a flexible actor, man. Like six months ago, I just saw him in Army of the Dead and he gives like this badass performance, but also like really emotionally like controlled and sad. And it's like a totally different like like exercise for him. And now he's just like angry henchman guy. Yes. But he's like really good at it. He's like, if you want the perfect angry henchman, get Dave Bautista. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He's great at it. Yeah, he's got a, he's got a like I don't want to say like range because it's definitely like there is like a Dave Bautista limit, <laughs> but uh, like he can't play like an everyman. I don't think yeah. he's just too big for that, unfortunately. Yeah, but he's definitely got more to him than I think he gets credit for. And he had those little glasses in Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Yeah, give him little glasses and he'll probably win an Oscar at some point. And he'll deserve it. Yeah. I think he's like that good. <laughs> you know, it would be great. Like if they gave Oscars for like best performance in under three minutes it's dave batista in blade runner 2049 there you go <laughs> uh you brought up something interesting because i don't think we want to break down everything in this movie you just watch the fucking movie so watch the fuck would you recommend it uh yeah i think because i think well like i said like i i'm chalking up to i'm just in a funk which is why i maybe didn't respond as strongly to it mm-hmm. and uh basically Everyone else is responding super strongly to this movie. And if that's the case, you probably will too. Like, I think people are going to like this movie. And I think the debate will be a lot of nerd debates about how much he captured the novel. Or, like, he played it very safe with a lot of things. Um, it's a <laughs> it's a more character-driven story, maybe. Uh <laughs> a lot of the ideas take a backseat, which is honestly like when you talk about the unadaptability of doing, it's like, like I said, it's just, you can't do the novel. Like you just have to do a version of it. Mm-hmm. And I think he did probably the most solid version, at least of the first half. Like that's the other issue is that it just stops in the middle. And, uh, shout out to the people who were clearly there in my theater to see Zendaya. And then she's in like the last oh. 10 minutes. <laughs> Uh, oh no! Hopefully, the sequel will be more your thing. Well, uh, Denis Villeneuve said uh, Zendaya is the main character in part two, so fine, yeah. <laughs> fine, Denny. Yeah, you got to do something to cure the fact that the book is a real sausage fest. Yeah, but... I mean, look, he made a Blade Runner sequel work, so I'm willing to trust this guy from here yeah. on out until I get burned again. And I, I didn't feel burned by this film. Yeah. Uh, but speaking of, like, the adaptability and stuff like that, let us I want to bring up that this has been a passion project of this director since he was, like, 13 years old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he did storyboards with his friends when they were teenagers because they loved the book so much. No, you know, And that person know. did storyboards for this film. Oh, too. okay, okay. I was about to say, like, no, Denny Villeneuve forced his friends to watch him make storyboards <laughs> for Dune. No, no, yeah, they... So I, like, even if this movie was an utter failure, I'd be like, okay, that's kind of sweet. Yeah. You know, like, that that's kind of the dream right there. Make movies with your buddies and then see them realize together like that. That's yeah, great. it's nice that a guy is passionate about the movie he's making. Yeah. I don't know, the, I, feel, no, I felt the passion and I was like watching it. It's sweet, least. and you definitely feel like it's a movie he's wanted to make. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not even disagree with that. And I'm happy for him, you know? I'm glad he got the hundreds of millions of dollars necessary yeah. to make uh, his little dream come true. Because um, movies are like dreams, Diego. 
Mm. Um. <laughs> a lot of dreams in this one. Oh yeah. Uh, see, movies are like dreams, and dreams are the most important thing. So therefore, me making movies is the most important thing anyone can do. Exactly. Funny how that works out in a lot of movies. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing more important than dreaming. And by dreaming, I mean movies. And by movies, I mean my movies. <laughs> Here's a quote from uh, from the director when he was um, considering the screenplay. He called it a coming-of-age story, but also a call of action for the youth. And Yeah. I, I, I guess, all, I don't know. All them um, youth. <laughs> yeah, all, all the youth. All yes. them youth. Uh, but this is something, again, that I, I discovered watching the film. Dune is also like a, a very eco-friendly narrative and is kind of like a warning. There's definitely, yeah, there's, there's definitely that. Um, which I, I did like, not get that from the original adaptation at all. Well, yeah, because it wasn't a big a problem in 1984. <laughs> I mean, it was, but no one was listening. Yeah. It, 80s is when people start going like, hey, this might be a problem in a few years. And the 90s is like, this is going to be a problem in a few years. And then 2000s is like, no, really. It's going to be a problem <laughs> in like a few years. And then now it's like, it's a problem. <laughs> so... That's the arc of history. <laughs> yeah, it's not great. Um, but yeah, he, I, I think Villeneuve is also like interested in like politics in his films. That doesn't mean he's like gonna, gonna make them all stick. Like I love Blade Runner twenty forty nine, for example, but the gender stuff in that film is very binary and dated, you know, mm. and. Like it's a sequel to the original Blade Runner, so it, like almost in a way, to keep in line with that narrative, unfortunately had to be. But I do hope people like evolve beyond that with science fiction. And uh, reading up on like other interviews uh, the director did, when he was talking about like prisoners at one point, with uh, uh one of the what's one of those YouTube channels? I'll put the link down below, or maybe put the clip in. <laughs> one of those YouTube but, channels like, could be followed by the worst thing you could possibly say. No, no, it's uh um thirty thirty oh okay. thirty thirty or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, it's like a genuine guy who like interviews like filmmakers with actual questions and whatnot, right? He wasn't he wasn't talking with the critical drinker. I'm gonna skip over that. I don't even know who that is. <laughs> no, that's or, horrifying. Or if that's a real thing. I hate everything. Oh no. Now, see, for me, somewhere in the second act, I started thinking about actual, uh, the wars we're in and the things we've chosen to do as a country and the issue of how far as a nation we go while, you know, blinding ourselves to the reality, choosing to go to Iraq, for instance, where there were no weapons of mass destruction and there, they were not the ones who bombed, who knocked over the World Trade Center, et cetera, and that as a nation, America has kind of become a place where uh, once you're seething... Somehow, the need to express the seething overcomes rationale. I love you. The thing is that <laughs> it's 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 a one of the thing that attracted me in Prisoners is I thought it was a nice exploration of something that uh, is a, one of the dark side of North America today. It's this idea that uh, when you are emotionally involved as an individual or a nation, are you the uh, the uh, is it a good idea to make justice? I mean, it's like the. I think that uh, in such a uh, uh, in such an event or such a moment, you need a third party. You, you cannot see clearly. You can't see clearly. You cannot make justice yourself. I think it's not possible. And it's, it's. I think that the movie 
a thing, pretty strong thing about United States and Canada right now, and I, I, mm -hmm. that's why I think it's a, a very important piece. I think cinema is a way to explore those things. I, it's, a, it's a very powerful tool, and a, it's a just raised question. The movie, the screenplay. Let's say the screenplay was raising those questions, and I just tried to, to protect them as much as I could. So is Jake the third party? Is he the yeah institution? In the way, yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. And uh, uh, in the in the movie, yeah. Like he's got like a lot on his mind at least, yeah. and feels a little, it's always nice to see a little like I don't want to say neoliberal, but definitely like liberal. Like yeah, uh, yeah. You know what the world needs is just everyone to be friendly and communicate, <laughs> <laughs> which is like a rival. Like also I mean, a rival, yeah. Which which I think is a great movie. And how do we communicate through the power of visions of our dreams and how we perceive time? Much like how a film plays with time. <laughs> Yes. So we yes. can communicate through films. My films. But hey, it's a fucking it's a fucking great movie. It doesn't it's not going to solve the world's problems. It is weird that like but... also like uh, James Cameron's movies are kind of like trying to be important in that way, but then his films mm -hmm. are never like. Actually, my films are the most important thing. <laughs> I just feels like that should be the natural progression of uh, James Cameron. Hmm. Well, he needs to have one of the Avatar sequels be about, like, overthrowing a president or something. Yeah. That's what those movies really need. You think his new Avatar is going to be subtle? No. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, but I'm no. here for it. Yeah, fuck subtlety. Yeah. Um, speaking of subtlety, uh, Stellan Skarsgård performance as Baron Harkonnen sucked. Oh, you didn't like I him? I didn't like it. I didn't like it at all. Aww. Now, meanwhile, he's going up against one of my favorite villain performances. So, I'm a little worried. You know what I'm worried about? I'm a little worried that uh, I'm going to feel similarly when the Batman comes out. Mm. And I have to live with Colin Farrell's interpretation of the Penguin. Oh, where he's like, hey, hey, I'm walking in. Yeah. <laughs> As opposed to a disgusting Penguin man who lives in the sewer and eats raw fish. Yeah, that's, that's a tough one to go up against. Which is the better, but also not something the audience wants to see. Mm -hmm. um, but this Baron Harkonnen doesn't... There's nothing to him. Um, he's a fat guy. <laughs> yeah, there, there's... I thought he was fine. He's fine, but, but like... He gets like three minutes of screen Your time. hero's only as interesting as your villain. I don't necessarily agree and with that. And <laughs> this fucking guy, Paul Atreides, he's a fucking wet blanket. But uh, Oh, you didn't like uh, Timothy? I like Timothy Jolly, but Paul Atreides isn't like a, that complicated of a character. Mm -hmm. At least now. Like, he, he gets interesting. But this is the beginning. He's just a, he's a dopey kid. You know, I'm fine with him starting there, but he needs, he needs a villain that I will feel good watching him defeat. Mm -hmm. And this one, Baron Harkonnen doesn't, doesn't really have that vibe. Um, he's just a fat... Also, first of all, how hard is it to find a fat guy? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like, what, why is that becoming a problem in Hollywood? Same with the Batman! Mm -hmm. Colin Farrell's not a fat guy. <laughs> I think it's this... Uh, I think this is a genuinely real thing. I'm not, like, rambling here. But uh, um, Hollywood is seeming to cast only certain types of people now. People who are more, like, traditionally attractive by, like... I'll say TikTok standards or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. Or like they they would be able to trend on Twitter, and unfortunately, I I don't think bigger people would be able to attract that kind of attention mm. 
for at least in the studio's mindsets. I think that's bullshit. Yeah. And so that's why you're getting a lot of people, like even Jessica Chastain wearing a fat suit with the eyes of Tammy Faye. Oh uh, yeah. I mean, it's like, why does this keep happening? Yeah. This, this is like, it's happening more often than not now. Especially in this age where it's like we're we're kind of ending this point where it's like now you can be an unconventionally attractive movie star. Like that seems to be more popular now. Honestly, like as much mm-hmm. as what the studios are pushing, but. Yeah, I don't fucking know. But also, like, fuck that point, because everyone's coming to this movie talking about how great Stephen McKinley Henderson is, mm. who is, like, not a conventional-looking actor, you know? Yeah. Like, and he's great. <laughs> and he's turning into one of these actors where when he shows up on screen, you're like, oh, this movie's gonna be good. <laughs> like, Yeah. They didn't understand like, it. They <laughs> didn't understand it. Oh, he's so good in Lady Bird. <laughs> I know, it's fucking fantastic. <laughs> Um, and I think I first noticed him in Lincoln. I think that was the first thing I noticed him in. Um, and he's great in that. And he kind of gets the last moment of the movie, except then there's a shitty epilogue. <laughs> but, um, yeah, he's, he's turning into one of these guys where I'm excited anytime he appears on screen. Um, and his performance is cool in this, as the mentat. Yeah, he's really, he's fucking 72 years old. <laughs> oh, shit, that's crazy. That is. He didn't like. He doesn't look that. Really have a career until his like forties. Then. Oh, good for him. Yeah, yeah, um, he rocks. He plays like the human computer. Um, yeah. <laughs> because I don't know if you know this, but in there's a whole uh, thing in the uh, Dune universe, um, where like we rejected computers that could think like people. There was a whole. It was called a jihad. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Oh. And so oh. There, there's no uh, thinking computers in the Dune universe which is partly how they explain like the medieval levels of technology you know the more conventional levels of technology that take place in it um so they have these so a lot of people are like genetically bred so like his character is genetically bred to be like this human computer type being okay that's super interesting i didn't get that at all but the movie doesn't like it you don't need to like, i just went with this it, you know? story <laughs> yeah uh, really what you do is you see him do that thing with his eyes when he makes that quick calculation you go like, there's something up with that dude. And then when you leave the theater, you can Google it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically. I mean, that's that's how movies work now. But I'll say, like, everything in this movie, like, worked for the movie. Yes. Like, I didn't feel like I was missing out. Even, like, that little tidbit right now that I just discovered. <laughs> I, I wasn't, like, lost. I wasn't like, what the fuck was that? I was like, oh, okay, calculation. He's probably got, like, robot brain or something. No, I don't, like, uh, like, I don't think I have any complaints about how the story was told. I think it's told exactly how you want to tell it if you're trying to make this story for a general audience. They, they gave all the information you needed, ignored the stuff that isn't really important for this half of the story. Uh, they dropped a few hints... Uh, like, you know, the Quizarts Hatteract, which is, like, one line, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they immediately stopped. <laughs> um, and... uh, they, I think it, it pops up two or three times, to be fair. Well, they're also talking about, like, the messiahs of of the planet Dune and, like, how the Bene Gesserit have, like, influenced the desert cultures of Arrakis. And there's a lot of that going on. Um, but, yeah, like, the, the, the deeper story is kind of left for you to find out later because like because you have to remember that when 84 dune came out they gave people in the audience like pamphlets that explained everything that's incredible because it was I didn't know so that. confusing wow and 
this it's like you don't need to do that anymore because you can literally just google it like mm-hmm. so now if you're confused and now the job of the movie is to keep you entertained while you're watching it now there's you could say a lot about that attitude but that's the way movies are made right now <laughs> and I think that's the thing where it's like Denny Villeneuve is like I, I talked about this on Twitter he's in that weird Nolan pocket where people who only see superhero movies will also see a Nolan movie and a, a Villeneuve movie now like now those are like the two directors those type of people know and they're like these guys are geniuses and then if you're you know I'm not to like pat ourselves on the back but if you know more about film you know Villeneuve is not that <laughs> but him and Nolan they push the boundaries of populist filmmaking and I think Dune 2021 does that where it's pushing the boundaries of what is acceptable in a populist film and that's not a bad thing that's something that deserves to be pushed as well and judged on its own terms. Um, now, is he a genius like David Lynch? Probably not. <laughs> but, um, you know, he's got his... It, it, I like that someone like him is making these big budget movies. As opposed to people who get these budgets and then don't really know what to do with them and let the special effects teams do most of the job. Which is what most modern blockbusters are. Yeah, and then the special effects team get all the criticism instead of the directors who shouldn't have been hired for the job uh-huh. or or the studio the job shouldn't exist <laughs> or the studio like forcing movies to be made the way they are on yeah. the assembly line because uh, yeah, i mean we're wide you know we're on the verge of eternals coming out uh, which has become the whipping boy of uh film twitter um and you know it's probably gonna look like a marvel film and you, i know chloe's out and she's got a better vision than that Say what you will about her, but she's got more than what the Marvel arena allows for her to do. And imagine Mm -hmm. what if they had just let her, you know? Mm -hmm. And clearly she had to fought to get the very little that she actually has in it. And uh, it's sad. (laughs) It's sad. Yeah. And so it's, again, like it makes me want to go to bat for a movie that I was a little underwhelmed by, but... um, yeah, this was, I don't know, Dune's good. I'm glad Dune's now, like, a thing. <laughs> I think, uh, like I said, it's appealing to general audiences, so I don't think whoever thought Dune had franchise potential was 100% wrong. Dune could be the next big thing. Yeah, and uh, apparently the the producers at Warner Brothers are very happy with the film. Mm-hmm. Like, they think they, they, they got a good film out there. Uh, and the only talk of a part two because this movie does end with the title card part one uh which we all saw coming of course but still it's very funny it started with the part one um which i was like oh god i hope no oh one... shit that's right yeah yeah i hope no one else I, why but did me. i mix that up no, also if you notice it says like dune and like massive font and then like the smallest font possible on a big screen it says part one <laughs> um but every everybody like from from denis villeneuve to producers are like yeah, we basically have the green light. Like, so I, I guess part two is happening. Uh, apparently they're waiting to see how it does on HBO Max. And if it doesn't do that well in theaters, they'll be okay. But, like, it's doing really well in theaters for a Dune adaptation. Mm-hmm. But again, like, I've been saying that Dune is, is kind of like a Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones where there's, like, a built-in book fan base. And yeah. That's, that's pretty, well, that pretty was the, diverse. That was the real question where it was, like, was the fan base going to turn out for Dune? Uh, which it appears to have. Like, I, I you know, because it's not... 
I think the Dune people are as out there as other fandoms. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess they turned out, and I hope they're happy with it. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, but it's already, like, I think a big part of wanting this to play well on HBO Max is that they are developing the spin-off series for HBO Max. Yes. About uh, the, the Benin Gesserit, the sisterhood. And uh. they keep doing these spin-off ideas for stuff. The Batman had a spin-off idea happening, and I think it still is happening, and it's going to be about the Gotham Police Department, which, talk about timely. Yeah, you um, morons. <laughs> uh-huh. But here's the thing. Do you know who was originally slated to run that show? Hmm. Terrence Winter. Boardwalk Empire co-wrote Wolf of Wall Street. That's That just makes me depressed. <laughs> yeah, but then he got booted for creative differences. So Oh, he probably yeah. wanted to make it a real show. Yeah. So I, don't <laughs> I don't know what's happening there. Um, Dune the Sisterhood is being developed by... It was going to be developed by John Spates, who co-wrote the original script for Dune Part 1, but then he left to focus on writing the sequel film with Eric Roth, who has already written a treatment. It's good to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, the new showrunner is Diane Adamujan. I don't know who that is, but um, best of luck to you. Good luck, everyone. Yeah. Um, that That's probably going to be very complex. So who knows? Who knows if any of that's actually happening? Because uh, we haven't really heard about that in a while. Yeah. Either. Well, I think they were all hedging their bets. And also, like, Warner Media like, imploded this past year. So yeah. there's also yeah. that. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And uh, they're they're definitely questioning whether or not they even make franchise films anymore. And I think they've come back around to actually maybe we should make franchise films. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe we should make things as opposed to I think they were relying on like, well HBO's got this great back catalog. We got all this great stuff. We don't even need to make movies anymore. And oh then, my god, was that real? Yeah, that's that's been talked about in a lot of circles in Hollywood lately. Um, that's depressing and I think when I say don't make movies anymore I mean like like they can just rely on everything they already own you know mm-hmm. like and they can they can occasionally make something low budget but they don't need to make big splashes in the film world anymore yeah um, yeah and I think uh, they they've they've changed their minds mm-hmm. but we will see um, now is not the time I, w- I wouldn't want to be making any bets right now about the future of the film industry. And uh, unfortunately, if you have shareholders, you have to lie to them. <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, we didn't talk about Jason Momoa. Yeah, I, there's actually a couple people I want to talk about, but he's he's kind of the big one. Um, I love him. In this. He's good. He's honestly, like, great as Duncan Idaho. Yeah, he's like, such a lovable guy. It's a bummer when he dies. Like, it's a genuine, like, bummer. Yeah. Um, cause like Jason Momoa, everyone knows him as like a big macho manly man, a badass and he could do all that stuff in his sleep, but like, he's got a real like tenderness to his performance here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, I don't necessarily buy the criticism that people like Christopher Nolan and Denis Villeneuve are cold filmmakers. I think the material can be cold, but like, mm-hmm. I-, I think at their best, they, they give the actors like room to grow their characters. You know, and and Jace Momoa brings like a real like warmth to. Um, I'll say that you definitely feel Duncan that. Idaho. I think that's a Villeneuve trait more than a Nolan trait. Like I think Villeneuve does like to let his actors kind of stretch a little bit. Um, where Nolan, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> 
And God bless Nolan, but I don't, I don't always get that vibe. Anytime there's like a joke or any warmth in a Nolan film, it feels like a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> Which is maybe why people are so divided on Tenet, because it's like, did he mean to do that? Yes. Or... <laughs> How about the Tenet? Oh, fucking fantastic. See, that was a movie I would have wanted to see in a theater, but uh, the world was bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I guess not to divert from Jace Momo, who, who like, really rocks in this. Um, but that that's definitely worth talking about, too. Like, I I think we're, we're both pro-theater, and we're also both, like, mm-hmm. understanding that right now is maybe not the best time to yeah. be, like, championing it as... as or at least, like, not looking down upon people that don't go to see movies in theaters right now. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's fine. People got millions of reasons. It's complicated right Yeah, now. and you know what wasn't giving me good vibes walking into the Dune Theater? The, the kid who had to have been 18 in front of me wearing a uh, jacket that said, Don't Tread on Me. Oh, on no. Wearing no mask with his family. Mm. And I was like, why are you a Dune? <laughs> <laughs> So that was in the back of my mind. Oh no. Um. Okay. I guess. Do they? They don't have the the mask mandates where you are then. Um. Right? No, they don't in uh, Pennsylvania and Delaware. Don't really. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay, because because we do over here. Well, yeah, everything's super strict in California. Yeah. Because you're like a bunch of liberal whack like... jobs. <laughs> <laughs> well, like when I saw um, Teton again uh in a packed house which was very fun uh i had to have my my vaccine id also ready okay which i was like oh that's great also hang on because i didn't have that ready yeah (laughs) so i was like please wait a minute while i pull it up on the internet yeah i've had that um but like like they'll ask me for it and then i'll be like i don't have it and they're like that's all right oh okay oh uh, but, you know, most people, like, at least where I'm going, most people, unless they're lying, are saying they're vaccinated. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the people not getting vaccinated are big enough douches that they would just be like, I'm not vaccinated. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's a weird, weird time. And I just wear, and, like, you know, I still get looks, I wear the mask, like, the whole time I'm in the theater. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's a very low bar. <laughs> yeah. But. And yet some people can't cross it. Yeah, people are, I don't know. Much like Stellan Skarsgård's performance as the Baron, Vladimir Harkonnen. He eats food. Was, um, was... I, I guess they wanted to to cut around, like, the skeevy stuff with him. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, he's definitely, like, one of those, like, gay-coded villains that you got. Mm-hmm. And then, like, the fucking David Lynch movie straight up leans into, like, the pedophilic aspects of it. Yeah, like, which is, like, maybe a little much. Which I can maybe understand not going there, but, like... And I think I think Hollywood's in this weird spot because you also feel this with Disney as well, um, where like there hasn't been an interesting Disney villain in like over a decade, mm-hmm. and all their villains are like a guy who you thought was good, but then it turned out they were evil. But you don't have any more Radigans or anything like that. Yeah. And I think it's them being like, well, we can't do gay coded villains anymore because uh, they because gay people won't want that and I think they don't realize that gay people love gay coded villains <laughs> it's just they don't like that like the they're they're usually punished in their films mm-hmm. and you can totally do and there's nothing wrong with a flamboyant villain but uh, yeah I think they're afraid to go there with it um, 
Also, with I guess with this tone, if it was going to be, like, a, a gay-coded villain, it would have been, like, really strange and off-putting. And then people have been like, is that movie homophobic? <laughs> um, but, yeah, I don't know. They should have at least given him, like, the, the diseased flesh that was in the Lynch version. It's some something to, to spice him up. Yeah. Um, I this... like the weird mud bath he takes at the end. Um, yeah, that was kind of interesting. Yeah, because it was, like, different, and I liked him more than you did. I don't think he was bad. I just thought he was, like, there's nothing for him to really play up. I wanted to and... see him at least enjoying his cruelty. <laughs> like, yeah. I, some... I wanted a guy who was just, like, yeah, fuck, fuck you, fucking Plato. Like... <laughs> something, because, like, when he lies to the, the Bene Gesserit lady, and he's like, I said I wouldn't kill him. Yeah. And it's like... Like I felt like that should have been more like fun. Yeah, and his <laughs> floating like, is not even that, that fun. Like you should be a floating dude. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. and if you're gonna do that, and he's gonna, and you're gonna have a non-fat guy play him, they should have made him bigger. Honestly, <laughs> I felt like they're like, well, he has to be realistically fat, <laughs> and I'm like, no, he doesn't. <laughs> uh, in an interview I, I had watched with Stellan Skarsgård, he was saying like. He tried to play up like the the flamboyancy of the character, and I was like, when I finally saw it, I was like, no, you didn't. Well, I heard an interview <laughs> where uh, he said that Villeneuve wanted him to be like more of a like like thro- like like an imposing figure, like to be a real threat, which is hmm. what you feel like they're going for. Yeah, and yeah. They do- I don't think they, su- I just don't think they succeed at all with that character. If I'm being honest. Okay, I don't even okay. think it's like a bad interpretation. It's like they're not even trying to have this guy take up the frame in an imposing way. Mm-hmm. There's like the one scene in the beginning where like you don't really see him and he's kind of sitting there naked. And they kind of do something there, but not really. Um, like, he could have gone fucking Touch of Evil, Orson Welles, like have him take up the frame. <laughs> I but... like the... Um... The moment when he starts floating. He only floats like the one time or twice in the movie. No, he floats because he but... can't walk, so he floats all the time. Um, yeah, but they don't like really capture it like in, in, a, in an exciting way, yeah. I guess. Like That's what. I, yeah, when, that's um, exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, when, when, he t- when he's talking to uh, David Desmalchian, mm-hmm. and he floats up and he's like, this is my dune. Kill them all. Also, because you make the Duke uninteresting, you also make uh, Peter DeVries uninteresting. Like he gets nothing in. This. You mean the Baron? <laughs> oh yeah, the Baron. What I say? Yeah, um, yeah, that was kind of a bummer, because uh, that, that I like that David Desmalchian. Yeah, he, he's like a really quality actor, and he gets another fun character actor. He's fun, but he gets nothing in this. Yeah, yeah, um, no, nada. That was that was disappointing. Um, yeah, I guess I just I thought all the Harkonnen stuff was depressing, and uh, uninteresting, and then the. It only got interesting like that one minute where you get the Sardo car, like. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. I'm glad other people are liking it. I guess. Yeah. Well, here, let, well, as we wrap up, what do you think about uh, all the Atreides stuff? Then, so we got Paul, Lady Jessica, Duke Leto, Gurney. Um, I liked Gurney in this a lot. Yes, uh, Gurney's great. Um, Roland's great. Rebecca Ferguson brings some interesting stuff to uh, Lady Jessica, which is can, which can be a character that has nothing going on <laughs> if you don't do her right. Much like the original adaptation. Yeah. Um, and here I thought she was fascinating. She ends up being one of the more compelling characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
yeah, and I, I thought Timothy Chalamet was solid, you know. Um, yeah, I don't have a ton to say. Oscar Isaacs was great. Uh, yeah, I mean, he, like, what the fuck do you say about Oscar Isaac? He's fantastic. Yeah. That's someone who could also do, like, anything. I'm glad that doing, like, the Star Wars films and that terrible X-Men movie no one remembers <laughs> hasn't, like, soured him on genre stuff. Like, he still shows up and does his job. Yeah. You don't get the feeling that he's like, I hate this goofy shit. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, he's just, like, a good actor. He understands that, like, a good role can be in anything. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, and I, I really liked him in this, too, because, again, that's that's a character in the original adaptation that... But what about Javier Bardem? Not great. Um, I liked him a lot in this. Here's where we can get into some of the criticisms of the film that I think uh, mm-hmm. hold significantly more weight in that the origins of the Dune story tend to be bound in, like, like uh, Middle Eastern iconography. Yeah, and stuff. Like and he, like... You said there's, like, a jihad at one point. Yes. In the film. Like, that that's that's a word taken from a different culture than ours. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the criticisms about, like, well, the film is predominantly white still. Like, there are people of color, and a lot of them are Fremen. Um, but I think there's understandable criticisms leaning towards, like, why wasn't this filled up with more Middle Eastern cast yeah. members? Javier Bardem is not Middle Eastern. He's Spanish. And he's fantastic. And I, I liked him a lot in this. He's got this this nice like wall around him because of like the desert world. He's not really willing to like trust everyone, but he's, he's willing to like respect people that respect him. Like that's, I found that really interesting. Um, and I've also heard like the reverse of the criticism where it's like, maybe we don't want middle Eastern people spitting into cups to drink water. And I don't know. I found that fascinating. Yeah, um, they just they play up the Middle Eastern coding a lot more in this adaptation too. Yeah, uh, it's just there's no denying what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I mean, eighty four June, they're all just white dudes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, there's not there's no. Uh, I could see people having problems with that. I get it. Um, that's you draw the line where you want to. And that's where you get an old thing where, like, there's always a debate about whether or not Dune is a white savior narrative. And people would be like, no, it's actually a deconstruction of a white savior narrative. And then it's like, well, the deconstruction is just repeating all this stuff and back and forth. And it's like, no matter what, Frank Herbert was still a white writer. And there's a lot of debate about that that is still ongoing. Mm-hmm. And, uh... Yeah, we're, we're, we're not here to give the final word on that. Yeah. I just think it's important to bring up. It would be nice to maybe cast some Middle Eastern actors in this, though. Yes, it would. Even if they're going to be yes. space Middle Easterns. Yeah. Like, yeah, you know, there's a, there's a lot of countries in the Middle East, believe it or not. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's not just one area. Uh, not Middle Eastern, but the actor who plays uh, Jamis is a Nigerian-American actor. His name is uh, Babs Alusan Makun. And I thought he was really good, and I was bummed he doesn't stick around. Yeah, things worked out well for him. Yeah. <laughs> there are two. Uh, there are the two prominent black actors in this die. Oh. Yeah. I mean, hey, yeah. Hmm. Well, we got the sequel coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, they'll 
had more characters, right? Oh, hey, you know what? I will say one thing. I'll say uh, very positive about this: the 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 sandworms made a lot more sense visually when I saw them in the movie. Okay, um, yeah, I, I felt that too. I thought, I thought in the they trailer looked kind of they looked first. dumb, and then in the movie, I'm like, no, that makes sense. They work a lot better. Um, mm-hmm. So I'll give the movie that. Yeah, and I I think for me. I think a lot of the movie worked better when I was watching it versus like the trailers. I thought the trailers were actually quite good, but part of me was always concerned, like what the fuck is Dune? <laughs> and also like, that looks kind of the same throughout the entire trailer. And uh, that latter criticism probably still holds a little more weight, but I was really swept up in it anyways. And um, I'm sorry that you weren't and that uh, a couple other people weren't. I know it's, it's not like a uniformly, praised film but you know like we brought up audiences seem to be going crazy for it which is good more more big budget movies that actually look like big budget yeah. movies I would like to it's hope that thing. this will begin an era of more movies like this but it won't <laughs> mm. um, yeah oh well June 2023 We'll see you then, That's the other thing. It's going to be like fucking three years before we get the next Dune. Yeah. Which is bullshit. Like, <laughs> like, that, like that's that's my biggest... That is a problem. Like, people are like, well, the Lord of the Rings did it. And yeah, but the Lord of the Rings had the next one ready to go. <laughs> like... Uh-huh. Uh, it's ridiculous. I mean, yeah, I guess that's another thing that, like, someone's probably, like, one of the five people that listen to this podcast is like, uh, didn't you guys say you hate when movies exist to set up the next one? And it's like... Yeah, but if I'm enjoying it, it's not a problem, <laughs> you know? But it does concern me, because um, the, the sequel's not guaranteed. Yeah. It w- and it would be incredibly funny if Dune only proved to be unadaptable because people kept truncating it yes. or extending it. <laughs> <laughs> not because of the material. Huh. I will say this. Um, I'm not even related to this at all. But uh, please, everyone out there, when the Lord of the Rings TV steer- series is about to come out, we, we really all have to work very hard and not watch it. We Everyone, for the love of God, do not watch the Lord of the Rings TV series. Not, not because it might not be good, but because Amazon has spent $250 million on one season <laughs> so far. And have committed a billion dollars to a five-season show, and it would be very funny if no one watched it. Because <laughs> we don't need it. Also, Amazon's evil. Also, they brought back, uh, I believe, the James H- Howard. James Howard is the composer. They did. Yeah, I think so. Why? Check that. Oh, because they want. The magic of the Lord of the Rings trilogy That's without it. legally being able to use the magic of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. This is one of the most embarrassing projects on the horizon. Yeah. And people are going to love it. Like, that's what's going to... Howard Shore, excuse okay. me, is the composer. Yeah. What the fuck was I saying? I, Howard, I... Howard Shore, yeah. It's going to be bad. But, um... Hmm. It's going to be bad. Don't watch it, please. For the love of Christ, don't watch it. Also, just because it's so funny how bad Amazon isn't making original content. Like, it says something that uh, the richest company on Earth can't make anything. <laughs> yeah. Or if that says something. <laughs> I liked season two of The Boys. 
listen, you. Don't... Oh, you know what? Uh, th- this is the this is their one golden ticket. Uh, the Barry Jenkins series, Underground Railroad. Yes. Is, is hey, no, they they drop occasional stuff, but every other streaming service has more regular hits than them. Yeah, yeah. Even Netflix, which is sad. Yeah. Well, Netflix has their pocket with the animation stuff. Mm-hmm. The animation stuff they they churn out is like gold. Yeah. And they don't they don't touch the creatives on that because they're like, ah, kids will watch it. And they're right. The kids will watch everything. And and the very sad adults great. like us. And the, exactly. Uh, Maya and the Three is is amazing. Oh, yeah. By the way, everyone go watch that. You recommended that. About what was the other one you recommended Dune. to me? Wait, what was that? You recommended another animated show for me a year ago, and I haven't watched it. Uh, Kipo. Oh, yeah. Kipo and the Age of the Wonder Beasts. Yes. But if you're on Young Justice, finish that first. Yeah, I'm still on Young Justice. Another show Diego recommended. Yeah. I got nothing to recommend. Okay. What if they did a uh, Dune cartoon? They, I don't know. I don't know. Um, it could be fun, I guess. I don't know. This isn't like a very like family friendly series. Yeah, but it could. It's not like but, super like you know that, that whole thing be. about like oh Dune is Star Wars for adults. I'm not saying that. But like people only say that because there's sex involved. Like <laughs> that's it. It's not that much more complicated than Star Wars. I'd say it's about as complicated as like Attack of the Clones. Yeah, I would agree with that. <laughs> yeah. And you know that that's one of the last things I'll say before we wrap up here. Um that Star Wars is better. better. Uh you want to start that I debate? I like Star Wars more, but Star Wars is like I get something different out of Star Wars. You want to start Wars, that debate at the last minute? <laughs> yes, but um, no, 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 no. Really, what I want to say is like it's interesting to see how those two things like, like developed into each other. Like Dune obviously came first, and you now, with the knowledge of all this, it, you can kind of see like the storytelling pros of Dune bleed into George Lucas's like ideas for Star Wars, and how like the original trilogy was like like worked because other people worked with him. And how people find the prequels very dense because it was just George Lucas and his political ideologies. Well, that's what's crazy is that George Lucas was clearly still coming back to Dune, like even when he was making the prequels. Yeah, which I, I think is more of a strength than a than a flaw at this point, frankly. But still, very obvious, you know. And you know that's interesting. It's how stories reverberate through time and shit. Much like the God Emperor of Dune, which will reverberate into my nightmares. Stories reverberate through time, like dreams, and dreams are movies, and movies are time, and time is money. <laughs> money is power. So that's why power we have to give pizza. Denny Villeneuve all our money. <laughs> that That's exactly what we're saying here. We are actually capitalist spies. Yeah, you know what? This was, this Wild Press was a psyop. Yeah. That, Yep, just got to be honest at this point. <laughs> Anyways, Matt, before we get back to our operation it's, it's headquarters. It's incredibly lucky that everyone I disagree with is a PSYOP. Yes, it's, exactly. It's, it's incredibly lucky how those things happen. I love being on Twitter. Anyways, watch Succession, everyone, also on HBO Max. Yeah. Um, I'd recommend Dune. Go check it out when you can. Fingers crossed for the sequel. Matt. Thank you for joining me again on this extraneously complicated discussion on Dune, which is actually not that complicated, much like the film. But uh, where can the people find you? 
I'm at Emperor OTN1 at Twitter.com. And you can find me at the Diego Crespo. Check out the Waffle Press on Twitter, YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, and Patreon. You can get early access to some other stuff we got going on. We're doing uh, some spooky movie season stuff. Spooky spooky season movie stuff. There you go. And uh, we're, that'll that'll be coming out basically all this week for your, your Halloween goodness. So keep an eye out for that. Happy Amblin coming back also, like, immediately after all this nonsense. So... Yay, we did it. We did it. We're, we're, we're back on track. We're on a roll. Hollywood. <laughs> Hollywood, go fuck yourself. Yeah. We've been professionally unprofessional. Bye. All of civilization depends on it. The future. I can see it. I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. My Lord Duke. Where the fear is gone, only I will remain.